And open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, as we return now to our series on Abraham and Sarah, walking by faith that we left in February and went to the mission conference, that we went through Easter, and now we come to, uh, back to Abraham and Sarah. And they're right where we left them, by the way, they didn't go anywhere, uh, and uh uh, so we're going to read, beginning with verse 15. I'm not going to read all the verses in the bulletin there, but uh, we'll read a good portion of it. This is the word of God. And God said to Abraham, ask for Sarah, your wife. You shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us your word. We have every promise of your word. A place to stand. So, Father, we're grateful. We'd ask now for your Spirit's help to grasp what's going on here. And, Father, how uh, what went on in the lives of Abraham and Sarah uh, impact our lives, Father. How we put into practice what they were putting into practice, we pray, so that you might be glorified and enjoyed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is, I suppose, the most famous question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I guess that's why it's number one, and we should all know it. What's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Here's the question. What does it mean to live that way? What does it mean to be like Abraham and Sarah and stand in covenant with God? What does a life that glorifies God and enjoys God look like? Now, let's remember the context. The overarching picture here is one of grace. God's showing his undeserved favor to Abraham and Sarah in this chapter. Uh, God, when we last left, has just given Abraham a new name. He was Abram. Abram means exalted father. Uh, Abraham means father of many nations. He gave him a covenant sign as well, circumcision. God described his own role in this back in verse 4. He said, as for me... Then in verse 9, he said to Abraham, as for you. And then in verse 15 now, as for Sarah. Now, now what set Abraham apart from most everybody else in his generation is that he knew the true God. Not only does he glorify God, but he enjoys God. Uh, now, what do I mean by that? Well, joy is a, is a feeling. It's a disposition. It's a, a state of mind. It's descriptive of what we have. And joy is more the action side of joy. Uh, it's something we do. We ought not to just find some joy in being Christians, though we do and, and we should. Uh, 
But we ought to actively enjoy being Christians. And yes, uh, we are going to look at the marks of a life that glorifies and enjoys God, and it's going to be hashtag WCQ1 life, all right? It's a little faster way of saying Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, get with the lingo these days. Uh, and I'll tell you, beginning, you thought Alan's three hours, this is a 10-point sermon, Alan, and um, uh, we got all morning, right? Um, so, uh, but we'll move quickly through them, so let's, let's get started, let's go to the text. Uh, Here's the first mark of a hashtag WSCQ1 life. It's a life that the Holy Spirit is at work in. Verse 15, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. God's announcement begins with this name change for Sarah. It's the same kind of name change that was given to Abraham earlier in verse 5. Sarah ends with a possessive uh, suffix, which means my, indicating that her name was Sarah, my princess. But with the addition of the sound, the very breath sound uh, that Abraham also received, symbolizing that God's breath was breathing new life into Abraham's dead body at the age of 99, that same life-giving breath of the Spirit comes into 89-year-old Sarah, uh, who becomes Sarah, which simply means princess. The idea would be she's not now Abraham's princess or maybe her daddy's little princess, but she's the princess, we'll see, of nations, of kings, of the earth. And it took the Spirit of God. I don't want to go into too much, but there's no other way for a woman age 89 to have a baby, okay? Uh, It takes the work of God. Uh, For us, the Holy Spirit breathes into us and moves us from death to life. And then it stays and he works in us, enabling us to bear the fruit of that same spirit. He brings into our lives that transformational resurrection power that we uh, works in us that we talked about last Sunday. And for Sarah, now Sarah, this meant verse 16. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So after 25 to 30 years of waiting, now's the time. Sarah is going to have a baby. And actually, while as readers we perhaps have always assumed that Sarah would have the baby, this is the first time God explicitly states that. Um, That's God's gracious plan. Uh, It's the first time we have that information. And her child will be the father of many kings, of nations, of peoples. And that gives us the second mark of the uh, WCQ1 life, that Abraham and Sarah stand on every promise of God's word. Uh, Abraham here believes what God says. Friends, we need to believe God's promises. The promises that he gives for salvation... That's how we're saved. The promises he gives for everyday life, for daily strength, promises of of peace, of forgiveness, of guidance, promises of hope for the years to come. Indeed, that the promise of eternity is ours. And so what's Abraham's response to show his belief in God's promise? Then Abraham fell on his face. Now that's a posture here of worship. And that's the third mark. He glorifies God. He falls down, 
and he worships God. Uh, the, the life we're talking about is a life oriented around the worship of God. There's an emphasis here in Abraham's life on glorifying God through worship. He's in awe of what God's going to do. Friends, how do we respond to God with worship? Is, is our daily amazement at, at, at response to God's promises and blessings? Oh, well. Or is absolute amazement and awe? Friends, without worship, we neither glorify nor enjoy God. And with worship, we do both. Now, that's when something rather unexpected happens and laughed. Abraham laughs. I'm going to suggest this is the fourth mark. Abraham shows that he enjoys God. So when God tells Abraham that Sarah will have a baby at the age of 90, Abraham laughs. Uh, and several observations I ought to make about this. The first is it's, it's pretty bold to laugh at something God says. Right? That's just not our normal response to the holy, holy, holy God uh, to laugh. And Abraham's laughter is a, is a mark of what some would call transparency before God. A better word, but it's a, that's okay, is, is our genuineness before God. That Abraham is what he seems to be. There's no pretense here. There's no charades on Abraham's part with God. This is just a complete and absolute honest response. And he's very much himself here. He's not trying to hide from God or, or the world. Abraham's obviously not trying to pretend that he has all the answers. Uh, in fact, by what he says here, it seems rather obvious. Abraham had no longer expected Sarah to be the one to have the baby. I mean, he's 99. She's 89. Come on. And as we'll see, he's quite satisfied with Ishmael. Uh, we also say his laughter is not a laughter of doubt but rather of astonishment. You're going to do what, God? Look at the rest of verse 17. And said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who's 99 years, 90 years old, bear a child? You see, God's got Abraham talking to himself. All right? Uh, is God really going to do this? Donna Barnhouse wrote about this. He put it this way. His mind's in a whirlwind. He's believing, doubting, hoping, fearing, laughing all at once. I mean, have you ever been told something that's absolutely true but astounding and you respond with laughter and you, and you just say, well, you've, you've got to be kidding. That really couldn't happen. Um, well, that's what this is. It's an honest laughter. Abraham doesn't try to hide his response from God. He does not say, you know, very pious and poised and reverently, well, that's wonderful, God. I adore you because I'm so thankful for what you're going to do. To, in my life, life of Sarah, it's, it's so reflective of your character and your astounding power that you would take us as experienced human beings and grant us a child. No, he doesn't say that. Just genuine before God, he laughs. He enjoys God with laughter. He's happy. No fake show or response. God doesn't want that from us. God wants genuineness. Abraham realizes that God sees him as he is. 
And so when we live this kind of WSCQ1 life, we're, we're transparent before God. We're not trying to fake it, not trying to impress uh, God or the world with some peculiar religious jargon. And if we're genuine before God, it will spill over into our other relationships with other people. See, God wants the world to see Christians for who they are. We're not out for show. We're not out for display. We're not to impress people with our talk. Rather, our lives are to have a flavor of honesty about them. Uh, They are what they are. This leads to this transparency, uh, authenticity, genuineness before other people. And it does free us to laugh because we're the only ones that have any kind of reason to laugh. All right, Judas is such an intriguing character in the New Testament. He tries to come across as a very sincere person who's very concerned about the poor. In that episode in John's Gospel, when Mary Bethany uh, anoints Jesus with the expensive perfume. Listen how John tells it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, that sounds so pious, all right? It looks pious. In fact, I'm sure he's got the other dinner guests sort of nodding. You know, what great insight, Judas. You know, you, you, you nailed it. But Judas was a fraud. Verse 6, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Of course, later by his actions, Judas shows he is a fraud. In our world today, people are almost always eventually seen for what they are. Day after day, so-called Christians who are frauds do tremendous damage to the world's view of Jesus Christ when they're exposed for what they are. Robbie Zacharias, sadly, tragically falls into that camp. Being God's person means there's a a genuineness to our lives that goes beyond just being transparent before God, but allows other people to see us with our dreams and our hopes, with our fears and our failures, our successes. People who are not living like the world is a stage and everyone we come in contact with is the audience that we seek to impress. The world needs to see Christians as real people. Suppose someone's hungry. Would you be better off to give them a $5 bill or a $100 counterfeit bill, which will do them more good? The world needs to see that our lives are real if we're going to be of any value to the world. This laughter also shows that Abraham's growing. God's stretching his faith. That's another mark of the WSCQ1 believer. You know, we're in spiritual danger whenever we somehow have the idea that that we've arrived with God. When we begin to think we've seen it all, because as soon as that happens, spiritual rot always sets in. Here's Abraham. We call him the father of faith, and he's 99 years old, and his faith is stretched as he hangs on to the promises of God. 
what God says seems impossible. Yet Abraham believes. His laughter says, God, this is not easy. Help me to believe. You're, you're calling me the father of many nations. God, you've got a lot of work to do. Uh, when Jesus met Peter, his name was not Peter, you recall, but Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means the rock, because that's what he was going to be in the church. But i got to think that Peter's brother Andrew and their other friends he grew up with, James and John, some of them, uh, they know Peter as Simon. And when they heard he was going to be a rock, they just laughed. Um, because early evidence of Peter's life shows that he's anything but a rock for people around him. He's hot-tempered and he's quick to act and speak, but, but really slow to think. All right? Um, and if Peter's going to be God's person who's truly a rock, God's going to have to grow him. And God did. And Peter stretched and grew and became the rock that was still growing until his execution at the hands of Nero. Friends, when it comes to the WCSCQ1 life, we, uh, we need people who enjoy their relationship with God and are always hungry for real spiritual growth in our lives. And from that growth will come compassion. We want others to have what we have. Specifically here, we see Abraham's compassion and his love for Ishmael. Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham realizes from what God's just said that Ishmael is not going to be the heir of the covenant. Ishmael is not going to receive the covenant blessing. Uh, Abraham's concerned. He loves Ishmael. I mean, he wants his son to know the God's blessing like he knows it. He wants Ishmael to be the one. Now, it's impossible to directly parallel this into our lives. But the principle would be our compassion and concern for people. And, of course, that begins with unbelievers in our own families. Uh, I hope we desire all our relatives to know Jesus. And I know we all know the pain of an Ishmael in our family but also those who are outside of families and outside the family of God. People who do not have the joy of having a secure future like we just celebrated last Sunday. They do not know the hope of heaven. And we can callously ignore those people. We can go about and live our own lives. Or we can be compassionate. We can seek their well-being. Right now, the Chinese government's actively pursuing genocide against the Muslim Uyghur people. Uyghurs have been subjected to torture, sterilization, political indoctrination, and re-education camps where there's also forced labor, part of a brutal assimilation campaign. There's been forced marriages, rape of their women, forced birth control. China's likewise brutalizing Buddhist women and nuns in Tibet in unspeakable ways. In addition to that, it's the ongoing imprisonment and torture of Christians in China. Friends, we should be praying for all those groups, for change of heart on behalf of a government that would so treat human beings made in the image of God. The needs of a fallen world 
can truly seem overwhelming. So we should have a compassion that drives us to pray. The seventh mark here. That's what Abraham does. Listen again to this cry. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. If only Ishmael would be protected and blessed by God. If only Ishmael would have a great relationship with God. Friends, we, we, we realize the compassion Jesus had for us. That Jesus would die for us and, and save us from our sins and give us hope. And Jesus, God, demonstrated compassion. That's the compassion we need to have for people around us. Compassion that drives us to pray, to plead with God. Uh, A compassion that compels us to light our world with the gospel, to plant churches in this nation and around the world. That's the kind of response that needs to come from us, that we who enjoy being God's people desire others to know the enjoyment. May I point out something, though, just as a side note about the prayer here. Sometimes God says no. My plan's better than yours, Abraham. This is one of those cases. So Abraham receives some instruction from God. We're living the WCQ1 life. We're willing to sit under God's instruction. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as my everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, will make him fruitful, and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So we're to be teachable. That's the eighth mark. A desire to learn. Enjoy God's teaching us. God came back and gave Abraham instruction that Abraham needs to hear. So that Abraham's going to know God and know God's plan better. Just say Sunday morning worship is wonderful, but it's not sufficient. We've got to be students of the word daily. Take advantage of Sunday school as it restarts next week and then evening worship that we'll be starting back this summer. We need to be like the people of Berea in Acts 17 who hear the preaching and teaching of God's word and then they go to it, they study it to see is, it, is, what, is what the Bible, what they're saying, is it, is it true? So God answers Abraham by clarifying his promise. And then God gives Abraham an inside joke that will carry on for several chapters. God said, yes, there's a blessing for Ishmael, but Sarah's child is the child of promise. And you're going to give him the name Laughter, which is the name Isaac. And it's our little joke, Abraham, to remind you of your astonishment at my power. And in fact, every time we think of Abraham and Sarah having a baby, what do we do today? We still laugh, right? Uh, God says, my covenant, my covenant I've been talking with you about for 30 years now. Uh, It will be with Isaac. I'm going to bless him. And you've prayed for Ishmael, and I will bless him as well. I'm going to bless him with the, the words I instructed Adam and Eve with. Be fruitful, multiply. Great earthly success is in store for Ishmael's life because you have prayed. But my covenant is with Isaac, who will be born by this time next year. So at this point, having gotten in the last word, we read in verse 22, when he finished talking with with him, God went up from Abraham. So what's Abraham going to do? What happens next? 
Well, being God's person and enjoying God, Abraham desires to be obedient. Watch what happens. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born to his house or bought with money, every male uh, among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael's son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of the house those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Immediately, Abraham obeys that very day. That's the ninth mark. It's obedience. He does not put off obeying God. He immediately acts to give the mark of God's family. Living this WSCQ1 life means being obedient to God. It means we do what God says. We put God's word into action. We're to be kind to one another. We're to exhibit patience and so on. Now, I will say what's curious to me here is how everybody responds. They go right along with what Abraham says. Now, you might argue, well, Ishmael is his son. He didn't have a choice. These other guys, they work for him, so they have to. But it still surprises me that he doesn't meet any resistance. I mean, can you visualize an employer saying this to his employees today? Uh, I can imagine somebody saying to Abraham, Abraham, you know, you know, sir, I am so happy for you and for your promises, but you know, I think I'll sit this one out. Um, but there's no resistance. And I think that's because of everything we've said about Abraham since last fall until now. And I think it gives us a picture of the impact of a WSCQ1 life. And that is the final thing, impact. Abraham's a genuine person with absolute trust in God. You know, in a world of tents, there are few places one can hide. And tent walls are not soundproof walls. There are no soundproof rooms. And this rumor about Sarah having a baby, it spread quickly. And I can imagine there was laughter from them too. Some might have thought Abraham was out in the sun a little too long. But those who live with Abraham, those who live under Abraham, know him for what he is. They know he's been clinging to his God and to this promise for years. And clinging to that God and that promise has caused him to travel hundreds of miles from his homeland in obedience to God's call. And they sense Abraham has not just a grasp of the present, but he's got a grasp of the future as well. And he wants everybody associated with him to be part of that promise. He realizes that God's threat to cut off those without the mark of God's family, back in verse 14, was not just idle words. The people who are part of his household know his concern for them. They know his compassion for them. And if Abraham says, be circumcised, then they say, that's what we will do. Abraham's not been some kind of plastic saint. They've seen him fail. They've seen him fall. And they've seen God show him grace and pick him back up and have him walk before him again. They've seen that God's the most important thing in Abraham's life more important than his wealth, 
more important than his family. And seeing Abraham pursue that relationship, they will follow. Seeing him glorify God, they will join in. Seeing him enjoy life, they will desire it. Sensing his hope, they will cling to it. They will follow him because he knows how to live in the present with an eye on the future. So what about us? You know, there's a war today that's going on for our minds and our hearts. It's a war with far things greater at stake than where a baseball all-star game is played or corporate tax rates. It's a war over whether or not each of us is really glorifying and enjoying God every day. So where do we stand today? Do we stand in awe of God's greatness and beauty? Do we stand amazed by His love and grace? Do we stand with our hearts and our minds fixed on every promise of His Word? For some of you, the answer may be that you don't know for sure where you stand with God. If you have a relationship with God, if that's your situation, let me, let me tell you, you can have a, a personal relationship with God through his, through his Son, Jesus Christ, just like Abraham. You can enjoy life. You can enjoy life and glorify God. Begin today by responding to God as Abraham did. Believing God's word that Jesus died for your sins. And if we're believers, we need to ask ourselves, do we take the time we should to glorify God? Are we enjoying God? Uh, or do we find that, that yeah, we're sometimes more of a fake than a transparent, genuine person before God in the world? And look over this list. Are these marks descriptive of us? Is the Spirit at work? Do we believe the promises? Are we seeking to glorify God? Do we really enjoy God? Do we want to grow do we have compassion? Are we praying? Are we teachable? Are we obedient? Are we making an impact? Do our lives reflect what we say, that we want to glorify God and we want to enjoy Him forever? Friends, where do we stand? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for the amazing example of Abraham and Sarah, Father, as we'll see. Uh, Father, we're grateful that uh, Abraham loved you. He enjoys you, Father. He glorifies you. Uh, Father, these things we've talked about were marks of his life. So our desire is they would mark our lives as well that when people see us, they will see people who glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Lord, is anybody here that doesn't yet know You through Your Son, Jesus Christ? Father, show them Christ. Show them Your promise of Your Son who went to the cross to die for us. Father, and draw them to love Jesus, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.